Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Since the assassination of Iran's top nuclear scientist, Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, last week, along with repeated aerial strikes against Iranian targets in Syria, tensions are seemingly rising along Israel's northern front. Nevertheless, with Jerusalem's enemies preoccupied, the corona crisis and its implications, security assessments remain largely unchanged with large-scale hostilities rendered unlikely in the near future. Therefore, this time may be referred to as a marginal hiatus between wars that analysts predict is ultimately inevitable. How well is Israel prepared for such an eventuality? Joining us to explore this issue from central Israel are Colonel and Reserve Miri Eisen, who is an Israeli public diplomacy, security and intelligence expert at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya. Welcome. Thank you. Also joining us from elsewhere in central Israel is Colonel in Reserve Reuven Ben Shalom, who is a cross-cultural strategist and an associate at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya as well. Shalom. Hello. And with me in the studio here is our TV7 analyst. Uh, welcome back, uh, Mr. Amir Oren. Uh, give us a broader understanding on Israel's current preparedness and what, what do we face? Well, you know, Jonathan, um, it's a bit of an unfair question, but life is unfair. You never know until various uh, contingencies uh, gel into one specific event and perhaps a series of events, and then uh, you are being put to the test. And uh, for instance, uh, the day before uh, the second uh, Lebanon war erupted, um, then Prime Minister Olmert visited the general staff for um, a status report on uh, the military, and there were uh, various voices uh, with one particular uh, ground forces major general saying that uh, the situation is much more dire uh, regarding the uh, preparedness of the military than most people say. So um, all we have uh, to do and all we can do now is to analyze the situation as we believe it is, but with the caveat that uh, if uh, the balloon goes up, we may find ourselves uh, in a completely different situation. Indeed. And uh uh, to better understand everything, obviously, I'm glad to have uh, uh, two of the most uh, sophisticated branches represented here in the Israeli Armed Forces, of course, uh, the Intelligence and uh, Air Force. Uh, but we'll start with you, Colonel Eisen. To what degree is Israel prepared, uh, considering the, the dynamic uh, uh, developments in the Middle East? Uh, of course, every uh, top general who comes uh, and takes over the military has his own agenda, his own understanding of the challenges. And uh, until just recently, Hezbollah was that main challenge to the north, uh, of course, with uh, the, the operation of implementing uh, Tnufa into uh, the armed forces to integrate a, a multidimensional capacity uh, of futuristic ideas uh, into a uh, relatively small but lethal arm uh, that is capable of uh, both deterring and uh, uh, making sure that Israel's security is maintained. Are we right now on the same uh, vision that uh, uh, General uh, Aviv Kochavi started with when he entered office uh, uh, a couple of years ago? 
there's no question that we're in the right direction. The challenge is going to be, are we preparing for the next war or are we preparing for the war that we already fought? We know that one. We can now prepare for it or for a future war, which the design, the scenario will be different from what we're preparing for. The IDF is building a lot of offensive capabilities. We've been building them for years. They are excellent. We see them every once in a while. We build defense capabilities as well. Do we do enough? Are we preparing ourselves for the threats that will arrive? As Amir said before, that's the conundrum. That's the challenge all of the time. I'm slightly worried that we prepare ourselves a bit too much for the war we think will happen without enough adaptability for what will actually happen, because we really don't know what that is. Colonel Ben Shalom, your perspective? I think Amiri's right that we many times uh, prepare ourselves for the war that was, but at least what's happening now is that this is being said. So General Kochavi is putting this in the forefront of trying to prepare for the future battle that we don't know what it will look like. And I think uh, NUFA, the momentum multi-year plan that, that he lay forth, I think it's look it's doing the right thing, especially, uh, I think, the first time in many years asking uh, difficult questions, questions that we don't always have the answer for inside the military. So it's not just bragging, yeah, we're preparing, we're strong. It is really opening up all the difficult issues inside the IDF and laying a plan to be ready. And by the way, General Kochavi and the military do not say we are ready now in this new vision of multidimensional battlefield, but they are doing what needs to be done in order to be ready uh, in the near future and some in the long future. Remember, budgetary cuts now, especially with coronavirus, are not easy for anyone. The whole Middle East is challenged as far as budget. So is the IDF. So we can't even implement the plan exactly as we want it. But it's always a matter of preparedness. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow. We could say that there's no war tomorrow morning. Miscalculation tomorrow, 4 o'clock on the border, and we have war. Mr. Look, at the, uh, look at the series of challenges uh, facing an Israeli uh, military chief of staff. First, of course, as Reuven said, uh, the budget. And the more uh, time passes without uh, war, the more civilians will tell you, well, you don't need so much. Uh, so that's a given. Another one is that uh, the Israeli uh, ground forces are built on conscription. And every two and a half years or so, you have to train everyone from scratch. Um, it's not good enough for people to have been at uh, their uh, peak proficiency when they were uh, drafted in 2017 because they are now out the door. And you have um, newcomers that um, uh, you have to undergo the entire uh, process with. In addition to that, you have uh, the tension between the uh, readiness you must maintain for today, uh, for a terror act, for any uh, surprise, and the attrition which it causes on men and material, and the uh, readiness which you want to uh, keep for the main challenge, which is war. If war comes, nobody will remember the many days and many nights where people stood watch and uh, wasted their time because nothing happened. They will be asked and tasked with the most severe uh, missions. So um, it's quite a challenge uh, to keep it. And the two uh, main um, solutions for that, one is uh, realistic training. You want to train as you are going to fight. 
and and Reuven, uh, as a pilot, uh, knows it very well um, firsthand. And you want to test your troops. And General Kochavi has many surprise tests where um, an entire team comes down to a division or a base and starts stripping down the entire system to see if there are any faults which can be fixed in time. Colonel Eisen, uh, you talked about adaptability. Uh, obviously, there is the Ezekiel reverence of when peace and prosperity, or when they say peace and prosperity, sun and destruction will fall upon them. Uh, to what degree are we in a stage where uh, we do see uh, peace only with Arab neighbors? We, we uh, have relative prosperity, of course, uh, uh, as uh, everybody stated correctly, within the COVID crisis, there are plenty of economic ramifications thereof, and the budget is needed in order to really formulate a comprehensive operation uh, or uh, capacity to withstand any future attack. But are we in, in a stage where we're not truly focused on the right things? We're focused on the right things, but you can't do everything. We need to add in an additional dimension, and that's the dimension of perception. Because to add into the budgetary constraints, and these are issues that are always going to be out there, and we always need to contend with them. I kind of want to say, welcome to decision-making in very many ways in the defense establishment in the military. But if you add into it the perception challenge, it makes it even harder. Because in that next war, the Israeli public have expectations. The international community have expectations. And there's going to be a gap between whatever we can do with our adaptability, with the budgetary constraints. But what we do know how to do, there's going to be a, a gap between what we do actually manage to enact and between what is expected. There's still an expectation of short, precise, clear wars that end with a clear-cut winner, and perception-wise, that is not going to happen, no matter how adaptable we are. Indeed. Uh, Colonel uh, Ben Shalom, I'd like to talk with you about uh, power projection. To what degree are we reliant uh, solely on American power projection in light of our uh, uh, qualitative military edge that is acquired from the United States in order to project that power in the Middle East? Uh, or should we now start uh, looking into power projection of a, a different magnitude that would deter our enemies even further and then in that way, of course, distance even more the likelihood of an all-out uh, all uh, conflict? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I myself, I don't like to use the word power projection. I, I think that term is maybe more relevant for superpowers like the United States with global reach and global responsibility. But we certainly deal with deterrence and we ensure that we are the strongest in the region. So our military uh, qualitative edge is a key component of our military uh, military strategy. And of course, the, rely the reliance and the alliance with the United States, which is critical for us. In Israel, we have a very powerful narrative, and that is we will defend ourselves by ourselves. Of course, that's a false narrative because we rely on the United States in many ways from the budget Remember the big, huge budget that, that supports, it's the backbone of our military, our military might. And of course, the partnership and relationship we have that ultimately can result in cooperation and collaboration during war, even defending Israel from, um, from, from missiles and, and rockets. So, so I think this all comes together and the image we project now 
the, the is is very important even in that respect as far as Americans. That means our enemies know that when they attack us in a way they're attacking Americans. By the way, we have Americans on the ground as we speak. It's no secret. And during wartime, there will be more forces, thousands of soldiers, if you judge according to the exercises we usually do. But even by ourselves today in what we call routine security or the campaign between the wars, we are certainly operating throughout the Middle East. We see this daily. And when we do operate, you can see that we have key components that are the best in the region, some in the world, some. I think that our secret weapon, by the way, is intelligence. I think there's no question. It's not the Air Force. Air Force is good, very good. Intelligence is our secret weapon, cyber capabilities and other capabilities. And with all of these capabilities, we ensure that we have full spectrum dominance, that when the time comes that we need to use it, we are the best. So we know everything and we can act upon that. Without knowing, you can't act. And certainly when you act, you have to have a very powerful and capable arm. And today what NUFA, what Momentum is doing is connecting between the knowing and the operating, having this close circle uh, on the battlefield. Indeed, uh, the Air Force is a strategic tool, and so is the cyber uh, for the intelligence arm, which uh, basically uh, directs each uh, uh, component in uh, one way or another. But Mr. Oren, at the end of the day, we do have dynamic enemies who see what we have and start to adapt to Israeli uh, capabilities and are doing so very successfully. Look, for instance, in uh, uh, Lebanon, you have Hezbollah with hundreds of thousands of uh, missiles, uh, presumably, and uh, that uh, significant stockpile is directed towards Israel, and it's very hard to identify all of those stockpiles uh, in a proper manner. How can we deal in a way that those weapons would never be really used and uh, uh, in a future war. So you are touching upon two interconnected points. Um, our enemies uh, have studied us. Uh, they uh, decided not to compete with us uh, where we are strong and will always uh, be stronger. And therefore, they have a poor man's air force in anti-aircraft missiles. They have a poor man's armored corps in um, anti-tank uh, mostly guided uh, missiles, and they have uh, trained their uh, arsenal upon Israel's rear, upon the civilian population, perhaps also infrastructure, because they believe that uh, these are our soft uh, underbellies. The Israeli answer is to have a very, very short, uh, lethal war uh, in order to uh, avert their efforts to use what they, what they uh, have. But um, you are also um, directing me uh, to two dilemmas facing the Israeli decision maker. One is the tension between secrets and deterrence. We all talked about the perception which uh, Miri referred to. We want our enemies to know how strong we are, but we don't know them to know the most intimate secrets of these systems and their capabilities. And you see from time to time that Israeli politicians say out loud to Hezbollah or Hamas, uh, listen, we penetrated uh, your uh, entire defense by intelligence, by the Air Force, by whatever. So be careful. Don't goad us into uh, conflict. The other dilemma is between legacy systems and legacy manpower and what you would need two or three years from now. How to bridge 
the gap between the two. Because if you know you are going to buy F-35s, you are trying to take the F-4s of the 1970s out of your arsenal with the pilots who were trained there and there is no uh, reason to retrain and convert to the uh, new systems. But what if war uh, surprises you while you are in the process of uh, getting rid of the old systems before you acquired the systems themselves, the personnel, the doctrine, the training? So this is, this is very, very important and therefore, you see that many times the Israeli cabinet and the Israeli general staff would hold tight, not respond to provocations, because they would want to put off war, not only for putting off war for its own sake, as, as Reuven mentioned. Nobody wants uh, war. But also because it would be more beneficial for Israel to have this particular war at a future date and not right now. From there comes to saying better one uh, bird in the hand than two on the tree. Uh, uh, Colonel Eisen, to what degree do you see uh, Israel um, prepared for public diplomacy in times of conflict? Uh, of course, uh, uh, from time to time uh, during conflict, uh, we uh, are faced with uh, sometimes uh, bad reporting, uh, and uh, a lot of deception going through. Of course, uh, as Hiram Johnson said in 1918, the first casualty of war is the truth. How can we amplify the truth or the justification of Israel's narrative, for that matter, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the enemies? Jonathan, the sad part is that I asked that question about the truth now not in a time of war. Fake news is part of our arena. Public diplomacy is something that is out there throughout the time and not just during the time of war. I am critical of Israel in the public diplomacy arena. I think that we do not focus enough on people, on faces, on the individual, and we talk security in big and large, and by doing so, we miss out on the audience that we want to convert. I think that we toot our horn or what we would call preach to the choir, and we don't try to reach out to other audiences who would perhaps be interested in hearing things we have to say. It has to do with the main aspect that we see it as being, as you just said, about truth, and I will immediately bring up the issue of framing. War is always ugly. War is always harsh. And it's the question when you talk about a justified war that still doesn't make it any less ugly or harsh. And you need to address these issues in public diplomacy. Israel's public diplomacy needs to be good all year round for it to be sustained in a time of war. You can't reverse it in the time of war. The best line you may hear is, it's all started when you responded to my attack. Indeed. Uh, Colonel Ben Shalom, uh, uh, among others, it's not only about conveying the message of truth to uh, uh, foreigners and uh, people around the world, but also conveying it to the home front, which uh, is uh, under attack at times of war. Of course, uh, uh, we saw some troubling reports recently about uh, the situation of the home front uh, that is not necessarily prepared uh, uh, in light of a lack of finance that has uh, not been allocated in time in order to prepare at least the northern sector for that matter. How is Israel moving to prepare the northern sector now that uh, uh, significant funds have been 
diverted for uh, for uh, bolstering the northern home front. Uh, and uh, is uh, the the public uh, attitude, at least, uh, prepared for what may about to come? Well, for, for the last question you asked, in general, no. I think civilians will always be surprised when the war breaks out. But remember, we're Israelis. We already proved that in war we come together, in crisis we come together. In a way, we will be much more united and strong than we've been in the last year. With all our political divide and everything in war, we will come together. All our reservists will go. We will all be as one, and we will we will we will fight it uh, together in the front and in the home. What we call the home front. Of course, it's a challenge. The rear now is the, is the front as far as our enemy and the capabilities that they're amassing. I think most of us don't understand the magnitude of what we're going to suffer. We're going to have multiple rockets hitting inside Israel. We're going to have buildings collapsing. Thousands of, of people maybe uh, are uh, casualties. This is part of, of this difficult war that we're going to be challenged with in the future. But certainly we've been talking and preparing for a long time. Even the fact that we have a home front command is relatively new and they're working very hard. Are we prepared? Do we have all the shelters prepared and all the equipment? Absolutely not. So every time a report comes out and they work on it more. But I do see a lot of work being done here, even again, without going into details. What happens with a, with a northern uh, population during a time like this when the whole north is one big front? Even that, there's a complete change in our perception and change in our plans. So I don't see them looking back. I see them looking forward. I can't say it's going to be okay. It's going to be difficult. But for the other side, it's going to be devastating, okay? When we talk about what's going to happen to the Lebanese population, that is going to be, they're going to be in ruins. They're going to be devastated. We are going to suffer. It's going to be difficult. But ultimately, ultimately of course, we will prevail as we always have. Indeed. And uh, that's uh, uh, bringing me to the next point. During an all-out conflict, right now we see pinpoint attacks and then uh, precision-guided missiles striking strategic assets uh, coming in to prepare uh, basically the ground for something a lot bigger. Uh, but in a time of an all-out war, the, the firepower used is devastating, something that uh, our region has not yet experienced in, in many years. Are we ready to to withstand also the aftermath of, of something like this? Are we uh, uh, in a position of being able to deal with the aftermath? So um, as a poet once asked, what if they gave a war and nobody came? You have to start by, by asking, uh, what is the narrative? Miri referred to it. Uh, what do you want um, your population and uh, the world at large to know and understand the day after the war. Uh, was it all in vain? Why was so much uh, uh, ammunition expanded uh, and so many people uh, killed and wounded and uh, left homeless and we are back to square one? So you are trying to shape your strategy so that uh, neither you yourself nor your enemy will think that war is the better option. And if you do that and if you convey to your enemy that it's pointless and that even on his terms, it's not good for him because first of all, his leadership is going to be decimated. They will be at the crosshairs. And every time you see a targeted killing such as Qasem Soleimani or Mohsen Farhi Sadeh or um, Saddam Hussein, doesn't matter who and in what uh, uh, manner or, or Osama bin Laden, they understand the, the Hassan Nasrallahs of the world 
and the Yahya Sinwar of Hamas and the like, they understand that in a conflict, if Israel doesn't want to have a repeat performance in a few months or a few years' time, they uh, could be uh, executed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to hear from uh, both our distinguished guests. Uh, Colonel Eisen, we'll start with you. What are the projections for the near future? Are we expected to uh, see a, uh, a growth of rhetoric or, or something of that sort towards such a possible confrontation? We're in that rhetoric already coming out of Iran. The question is how Israel will respond. There are two sides to this. How Hezbollah will step in, how the problems inside Lebanon that Hezbollah is part of will impact that. I certainly see more rhetoric, and rhetoric sometimes can bring escalations that are not intended. Colonel Ben Shalom. The Iranians are wise, they're calculated, they know much better than us, by the way, to contain, to calculate in the long run. We're, we are at war at them with them already. The fact that they're not responding to something that they blame us that we did, you know, that means nothing. In the near future, we're all waiting to see what Biden's going to do. A miscalculation could be, mean war tomorrow, but in the long run, it is a war, a regional war. Mr. Owen? You know, um, recently uh, a very popular series on Netflix had to do with chess. And um, what Israel has been doing vis-a-vis -vis Iran of late is a simultaneous game. Israel is playing at the same time against the Trump administration, the Biden administration, various uh, centers of gravity within Iran, the Supreme Leader, the IRGC, Rouhani, and its own population. And if the Iranians get the impression that Israel wants war, then they will say, no, we are not going to give it to you. Uh, we are wiser than that. Just like uh, Reuven uh, said, no, no. Rather are, than once war is prepared for a all-out confederation. The, the, aggressive, the aggressive outlook of Israeli policy is it what may drive war away with the caveat of what Miri said, that sometimes it gets out of hand. Indeed. And uh, obviously we've been talking a lot about Iran and the Iranian threat, but there are more threats in the region. Of course, uh, the Eastern Mediterranean is one of them. Do you see something there exacerbating to a certain degree? Perhaps uh, we will see some burst of hostilities, but real war only with Iran and its proxies. And the proxies are preparing to align with Iran, considering the fact that also Hezbollah right now is not in the best position that it's been thus far, not neither Hamas or any organization in the region, really. Not really, because they are looking after their own interests first. Uh, Hezbollah is Lebanese, Hamas has to do with the Palestinians, and they don't know whether Iran will survive the day after the war. So in that case, they better take care of themselves. Indeed. And this, of course, uh, coincides with uh, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action or a renegotiated deal, uh, presumably, uh, even though the Iranian Majlis this week uh, already announced that it's forcing its hand on uh, the Iranian government in order to uh, enrich uh, uranium to the levels of uh, one nuclear bomb. Um, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to take uh, this opportunity to thank uh, Colonel Eisen, Colonel Ben Shalom, and Mr. Olin for joining us today. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.